What's up? You are now listening to Americanized, a storytelling podcast where you'll hear from eclectic first and second generation Americans share their stories and real life experiences as children of immigrants. Thank you so much for tuning into yet another episode of Americanized. In fact, this is the last episode of the year. I'm your host, Rosalind Claru, and I hope you are well as we are nearing the end of 2021 and entering a new year, 2022. In this episode, I want to talk about some of the more common themes that came up across previous episodes that a lot of us in the first generation and second generation kin could relate to and just have a grand discussion about. So some of these themes include language, the immigrant family dynamic, parenting, and being Black in America and in Canada. So I will be sharing some snippets from episodes that highlight these themes. Stay tuned! But first, before we get into these snippets, let's play that put a finger down but Americanized edition. So five fingers up. Let's get started. Put a finger down if you are a first or second generation American. Put a finger down if you come from a bilingual or multilingual family. Put a finger down if you can understand your mother tongue. Put a finger down if you can speak your mother tongue fluently. Put a finger down if you can understand but cannot speak your mother tongue fluently. If you put your finger down to the last question of you can understand your mother tongue, but you're not able to speak it fluently, you have what is known as receptive bilingualism. So receptive bilingualism is essentially being able to understand a language, but not being able to produce the speech for the language. I've mentioned a number of times across different episodes, and you're probably tired of hearing me say this, but my family is Ivorian and they speak French uh, in Ivory Coast. So I grew up understanding a lot of French, and I still do. I understand it pretty much fluently. I, I, I do. I understand French fluently, however, I'm not able to speak it fluently. I've been able to pick up a lot more words over the years so I can have a very basic and simple conversation in French with a French speaker. My accent will be off, but I can do it. Um, But the ability to understand the language way better than speaking it or not being able to speak it fluently or to produce that fluent speech to have a fluent conversation is known as receptive bilingualism. And I want to shout out Jennifer, who actually shared a TikTok video with me that explained this. And I was like, what? What a way easier way to say the whole, I understand this language, but I don't speak it. So instead of saying that, which isn't a lot to say, but instead of saying that, I can just say, I have receptive bilingualism in French or whatever the language is, if that's how you say it. Um, But yeah, if you also have receptive bilingualism, Now you have the language to say that. Isn't that awesome? 
There have been a number of guests on the show who also have receptive bilingualism, including Jennifer, who I mentioned. Um, she shared her story in the Pride and Resentment episode. And in this first snippet, you will hear her experience with language being one of the barriers as to why she has yet to visit Haiti, the country that her family comes from. So no, I haven't been to Haiti. I would, I think, I definitely would love to go. It's not necessarily something I've, you know, added onto my bucket list, which I kind of feel guilty about sometimes. Um, but we'll probably get into this too. But um, I know for me, it's probably not something I've considered a lot, only because as the first person born in, on both sides of my family, really born here. Um, language barrier I think is probably the number one reason that whether I'm aware of it consciously or not now that I'm thinking about it probably very unconsciously um that has really kept that off of my bucket list right so I can communicate with my family um and it's always been this way I speak English they speak Haitian Creole I understand everything they say they respond you know, I respond back in English and we just kind of communicate that way. And I think I know deep down that's not going to be the way to communicate if I were to visit Haiti. And that's probably the hesitation there, which kind of sucks. Um, as a as a teacher, I used to have conversations with, with parents who were dual language, um, teaching their, their child in their home. And for that child to be a dual language learner and kind of giving tips to the parents, my number one tip is, you know, it's not just about speaking your home language to the child, but it's having the child speak the home language back to you, right? Because we can understand what our family is saying, but it doesn't, it's only half the conversation if we can't speak back the language to, to, the, to our family. Yeah, that's such an important point. I experienced the same thing with my family and they would speak French to us. So growing up, we all understood the language. I still understand a lot of it, but communicating back in French is like a huge struggle. Right, right. And then when you try, especially when I was becoming like adolescent, a teenager, you know, I'm, I'm trying to embrace my culture and really be a part of it. And then adults laughing, right? And it's like, what? Like, you do not laugh at a teenager trying to do anything new, right? Like, that's going to shut them down. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, and it really disconnects you from the culture as a whole. You know, I have one living grandparent, and I'm not close to him at all because, you know, I, I hardly see him. But when I do, there's that language barrier there. And now I'm intimidated because my family used to laugh at me when I used to try. So... Uh, it definitely is a huge, huge factor when it comes to connecting with cultures, if you can speak the language, right? Mm-hmm. A huge disconnect. Yeah. And that's true. Like, I used to think it's okay. Like, yeah, I can talk to them. I understand what they're saying. They can kind of understand you, but it's true that they would just make fun of you. And it's really discouraging. <laughs> right. And I still try to learn the language, but I just know it won't sound like them, so... Right, right, right. I wish it turned out a little bit differently, but everybody's like, oh, you could still learn now. And I'm like, mm. you know, <laughs> once you're like a, once you're an adult, it's hard for you to think about the new skills that you can learn. So I guess I could, but this doesn't feel the same. Yeah, not the same. I wonder why 
that is like why their reaction to our attempts at their languages to laugh or where is that coming from? I don't know. I feel like... And I think too, that's probably what happens with parents is that, or, you know, families, they're trying so hard to be a part of the culture or to assimilate. And so once their child is here and born, they're kind of figuring, you know, let's let's make sure that they understand English. Let's make sure that they know English. Let's make sure that they're part of the culture, not realizing that we're going to get English regardless. Like it's in school, it's on TV, our friends, like we're going to get the language. So speaking our home language at home is not going to mess up our education. It's not going to mess us up for what we're trying to build here. And I think that's the fear, right? It's like, well, we're going to let them, we're going to, we want them to learn English. So we won't, you know, make them um, speak to us in our home language. And it's like, we're going to get it. Don't worry about that. Like children young as two, three, four, five can pick up two, three more languages. If it's all shared at the same time, they'll figure out how to process the different information. But I think families get really nervous that they're going to interrupt our ability to learn English if, if we if we speak our home language, which is unfortunate. Because again, we lose that as adults. Now we can't communicate with the elders in our family. So that sucks. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think you put it perfectly. I think that's what it is. Yeah, it's that, it's that, it's that, it's that desire to be a therapist, right? Just trying to figure out, all right, what do these adults, you know, what did they have at hand? What was their thinking process? You know, what were their hopes and their goals and their desires? And, you know, of course they tried, they want the best, but... How many of us can relate to this, attempting to speak or learn a language just to be laughed at? Well, in the following recordings, you will hear similar experiences from Amanda Rodriguez from the Do the Best You Can episode, as well as those of us featured in the Bring Me My Belt, Growing Up With African Parents episode, which featured my siblings, Nikki and Junior, as well as Hillary, Chi Chi, Kinsey, and Kathy. With the exception of Hillary, who can both speak and understand her native language due to being born in Ghana. Similar to Hillary, I share snippets from the Phil Holland episode entitled Phil Holland on Surviving Police Violence. He was actually born in Ivory Coast, and so therefore he can read, write, and speak French, because he's Ivorian. And Rudy Salo, who was featured in the Keep Moving Forward, an Arab American story. He was born in the US, but his first language was Arabic. Stay tuned. Rodriguez. I'm like, please, Amanda is fine. I like that. There's no, I, I recognize I worked hard. And at the same time, I'm a human and you could just call me Amanda. That works. So. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That's really cool how you're keeping up with your, the cultural piece. You're carrying that on with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I remember, um, I think one of the last courses with you, you're like, you said you want to start speaking more Spanish. How's that going? <laughs> so I speak as much Spanish as I can with my daughter. That's awesome. Um, and so she knows water as agua. So we've nice. never called it water. So <laughs> when she wants her little sippy cup, like she'll say agua, which is really cute because she's 11 months old. So it's like, oh, agua. Oh, 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 like she's got marbles in her mouth. Mm -hmm. um, 
but it, it's like, I don't know, like something that just gets my heart to think like, oh my gosh, like that's, that's just what she knows. Like she hasn't been taught anything else. Nothing has tainted her worldview where she's like, no, this is just the Spanish word. This is, this is it. That's it. Um, and I try to read to her some bilingual books in, at nighttime, which is really great for me because I get to practice my pronunciation and like work on the timing of how I read without, you know, feeling like other people are watching. That's one of the things that gets in the way is that my anxiety around like, am I doing this right? And, you know, am I, am I really Puerto Rican? And am I really allowed to claim this piece when I don't actually speak the language or maybe I don't pronounce things the right way. And so to read to her, it's just like, this is all that matters is our little bubble and I'm doing the best I can. And we're having good quality time together. I love that so, 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 so much. That's so awesome. (laughs) That warms my heart. I'm like stuck on that. That's amazing. That's, that's really cool. Cause I feel like with my family speaks French and Mm-hmm. I want to learn or I want to like speak it fluently. I know some words, but it there's is that pressure and there's that anxiety to like speak it out with my family because it's not yeah. right. It doesn't sound right. It's not. And then, yeah. yeah, so weird. I was just thinking about something related to this where like family parties growing up, like mm-hmm. we we just danced like the music would be loud and people just started dancing in the living room at, around Christmas time. And when I was little, like that would be something I would jump into. No problem. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but my aunt's going to teach me and we're just going to go with it. And then like, as, as I aged, as time went by, there's so much more like reservation that's put on that of like not wanting to put yourself out there. So I have to, I try to think about like, well, what is that? What is so different between being little and going for it and being an adult and going for it? Like there's, there's nothing like and if everyone just realized that like we could do a lot of the stuff that we keep <laughs> ourselves from doing that is so true i, I want to dig into like what that is i don't know like where to start but that's something yeah. i want to find out too because i think yeah. a lot of people with like like first generation a cultural piece or different cultures coming to america and ex- expressing that and being a first generation or second generation or not yeah growing up fully like in the culture and then you're trying to dive in it's like do I dip my toes in or do I just, yeah. yeah. And like, if, if you like hear it, so when I shared my piece and then you shared your, you know, hesitation about speaking French, that made me think, oh, it's not just me. Mm. Like how many other people are having that same experience? And if we all just realized, oh, you feel that way too. All right, then let's just do it. Right. If we're all anxious, then let's just drop the anxiety around it. Cause we all want to try it. Yeah. But it's okay. there is, yeah. There is like this, I don't know, this, weird fear not really fear but something that we put on it like just go for it yeah I'm thinking about meeting with you when you had texted <laughs> I was like oh gosh that makes me really nervous but you know if something makes me nervous then I probably care about it and I want to do well we cannot sleep on this topic how many of y'all really know like your your mother tongue right no I do this is all I was nine so uh, yeah, you're kind of a different case, but it's still like, <laughs> why do our parents, our parents, our parents literally legit barely enforce it in in us? 
Mm-hmm. I think because they want us to have a good opportunity. Like America, like they understand. Like if you don't speak English, like look at how they treat Hispanics. Like they That's get yelled at for speaking Spanish and stuff. So I feel like our parents actually care. I know they care because they wouldn't like you know treat us like that if they didn't. But they want us to have a good future, in my opinion. So like they don't. Because like you know this country, they don't accept you if you're not American. And I'm putting my hands in quotations because there is no American. We're all immigrants. But then again. Yeah. It still feels like it's stripping you of a piece of your like of yourself. Yeah. My parents want me to learn, but they'll teach me something few that's gonna work out. <laughs> like I, I, I can understand it perfectly fine. I can speak a little bit of it, but if I'm not fluent, which is annoying. Like they want you to be fluent and 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 they clown you for not being fluent, but yet they teach me how to make how am I how am I the clown? He said, "How am I the clown? <laughs> you are the clowns." <laughs> Yo, no, it's 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 really true because it's like they spoke some. I understand some, and like I can say some like you know some phrases and stuff, but nothing that is like nothing fluent. It's like, but then they clown you. My mom would be like, would be like, "Oh, it's your fault." I'm like, "It's your fault." What do you mean? <laughs> you think you think I should have absorbed everything I heard when I barely heard anything? You know? Are you talking about French Kinsey or is there another? Like, no, Kirindi, Kirindi. Okay. They speak that too, but no, they did speak some French to me when I was younger too. Like, but I under I don't, only a little bit. Like I, I it, it was still like, come on. I wish I could have learned French too, because it's also I know it's a lingua franca of my country and, and yours too. Mm-hmm. It'd have been lit. Imagine we're speaking oh French to each other. <laughs> you want to tell secrets in front of these American kids? We speak <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I didn't really value wanting to speak my language when I first came here. So I didn't think it was important. But, like, now that I'm older, like, I would love to be able to speak something that's not English, you know? Because, like, I feel like everybody's in your business once you speak that language here. Oh, my gosh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bro, like, especially when I came down here, like, I've seen Hispanics do it, like, if they're around like some Americans, bro, who don't who only speak English, they'll literally just speak in Spanish to tell like a secret story. And I'm just there like, dang, that's that's slick. I wish I could do that too. And I feel like, like that's oh sorry. No, I was done. You good. <laughs> I was gonna say, I feel like that's why Americans feel like they get upset or go like crazy caring when they hear people speak in a different language, because they know what they've done. They feel guilty, so like they wanna know everything. Because like they want, mm-hmm. they always put themselves in a position of being better than everyone. So like when they can't do something that someone can't, they they degrade you for you to feel bad for something that you should be proud of. You know, speaking multiple languages. Imagine only being able to speak one language and being proud of, and like being proud enough to be like, hey, you you speak uh, like two languages. Like what? That's probably where cultural appropriation came from. They got tired. That's- that but sounds you know, like give me that culture. <laughs> give me that. I love that hilarious. He said crazy Karen. I haven't heard it like that before. Like, yo, nowadays they've been going crazy. I feel like every. But I was born in Ivory Coast in Africa, and a lot of people don't know that about me, because you know they can't tell. People listening probably couldn't tell until I said it. But I am African, Ivorian to be specific. Um, and I moved here. The reason I don't sound it sounded because I was moved here when I was three. Um, so I've been here for 24 years now. So I'm pretty much Americanized, but I'm still very in touch with my roots and all that. I speak French, read, write, and speak French. 
and I have a daughter. She's she turned three on the seventeenth, so about like a couple weeks ago. Um, and that's more or less in the suburbs, life. punk rock law, and how you actually it sounds like you actually could relate to them, even though you weren't a white person in the suburbs. So can you tell me about how, what were you angry about? What were you facing as a, what was your upbringing like? My upbringing was, was interesting. Um, my first language was Arabic. Oh. And then at some point, and my mom said, tells me I used to speak Arabic very well. At some point I said, I just stopped. It was like, you know, no Arabic, no, no more um, as, as a child. And I actually specifically remember telling my parents that they, that they are not allowed to speak Arabic in public. And that was during the Gulf War, August 1990 to 1991, because I was scared. I was mm-hmm. really scared. It was a very scary, it was very scary being in Arab at, at that time. Because mm-hmm. you were, I mean, it was back then you used to drive, you drive around your car and there used to be bumper stickers on cars. Now I want to share discussions on the the immigrant family dynamic and really emphasizing on just how different immigrant parents are. If you have them, you know what I mean. Featured here are Jennifer, again, uh, the Bring Me My Belt Growing Up With African Parents, bam, as well as Tu Nguyen, who was featured in the Healing Work and Liberation episode. So at what point in your lifetime did you realize that your parents are not like other parents? Since I was a child. To be honest, I feel like we all subconsciously knew it mm-hmm. from like a very young age, which yeah. is why we, like some of us may have felt pressured to like, you know, hide our parents or not really get people to meet them. And then when you when you get older, then you realize, oh yeah, they're really different. Because then you go to sleepovers or you meet other people's families, right? And then you're just like, <laughs> what the heck? You guys, you, <laughs> you guys can talk like that. You can talk to your parents. Wait, you have sleepovers? <laughs> you have, hey, I, no, I, I only had one. No, no, no. Can I speak? Yo, I only ever had one in my entire life. That's why I should I should just said sleepover. That's that's already a testament. I it was it was it was crazy. I even got to go to one. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. like every time you try to go to one, they're like, no, I got to meet their parents. <laughs> and then they never try to meet the parents. Exactly. They never make the effort. They never make the move. Right. Asking for a sleepover is risky in itself. Exactly. Being the first one born here, a lot of my cultural context for what it meant to be American was watching television. Right. Mm. So what what is OK, what I'm supposed to be experiencing was what TV was teaching, what TV families were teaching, right? These sitcoms, especially like the early 90s, like what are these sitcom families? You know, you have the Cosby show, you have the, you know, Fresh Prince, you have Full House. You really had, especially in the 90s, all these family sitcoms that had these issues. And then within 30 minutes, the families, the adults, the parents figured out how to address the issue with the young person, with the child, with the with the teenager in a way that was impactful, that was thoughtful, that was engaging, that was personal, that was um, lighthearted still, right? And it's almost like, wait a second, that's the American way. How come that doesn't happen here like that, right? 
So it's almost this resentment of your own culture because you're assuming your culture is 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 wrong, right? That's not how my family treats me, so they must be wrong. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's still trying to figure out that process of like what's real and what's not real, what's okay, what's not okay, what's what's fake, right? What's what's a what's a what's an expectation that can't be met because there were people writing it behind closed doors on a script mm-hmm. versus what's like reality. That's a good point. And, and something else I haven't thought about, like all the sitcoms that we grew up with did model the ideal American family right. which was nothing as, like the one we were living and as an adult I don't even know if actual real American families experience that type of life right yeah. <laughs> but in my mind as a, as a person growing up it's like that's how American people did it mm-hmm. and we're in America so <laughs> what's going on what's going on exactly exactly which kind of sucks because then we're we're for me I guess I'm giving I'm have this expectation of the adults in my family to be able to meet something that's not even real. Mm-hmm. So how I was viewing them or how I was resenting them wasn't necessarily even their fault. Because mm-hmm. you have that expectation from a false reality. We're conditioned to learn certain things, right? And so even with family, like I didn't know how to love my parents, you know, like you just think these are like natural things that might happen, but I think we're so, you know, colonized and like detached sometimes because that's the conditioning of life. Um, and so when I realized this moment where I was like, I don't know what love is, then I started thinking about my parents and how like I like abstractly know that I love them. But, you know, there's like all these missing pieces, you know, because growing up, they weren't emotionally available. They weren't there for me physically either because they were working so much. And so part of me had to do that remapping of my mind and my emotions to be like, well, this is what actually happened. You know, like they love you and all they could do is think about your survival and putting food on the table. Mm-hmm. It's like they love you and culturally they don't say the word love. They say, have you eaten? Here's some food. You know what I mean? So right. like, you know, in my search of understanding love, I had to go back to my roots, you know, in order to like really um, do that healing within myself and my family. Hard because I think as a child, especially if you like watch, you know, TV yeah. and like you see, you know, this is what being a parent looked like. It's and supposed then, to be you. Yeah. And then you like realize, like, you know, it's where our families are a lot different than what yeah. it is on TV. And we have to really give them some grace um, and that people have different love languages. Yeah, the influence of TV is so strong in these immigrant households, especially for the kids who watch these shows. I know I watched a lot of sitcoms with my family growing up, and I don't know if it was really used as a basis for what to expect in your own household, but it was kind of like escapism of you into other households and what how other families are run and what other families are doing and how that dynamic is like so it's kind of like huh this is how other families do it while my family may be a little bit different 
So it was really interesting to have these conversations and viewpoints on family dynamics and first-generation children of immigrants. In these next few segments, I'm going to switch gears and talk about blackness. Now, many of my guests early on on the show identified as black and had either African or Caribbean roots, so inevitably the discussion of being black in America arose. And I've always had this long abstraction of blackness in America and the many threads of black people who make up the fabric of black America. There's so many different types of black people from various countries. However, to non-blacks, we're all seen as black people in the same mold, in the same box. So in the following snippet, Peace is a Nigerian writer living in Canada who articulated so well these thoughts that I had. So I guess, yes, despite the little distinctions, um, there is still that, there is still something that brings all of us together. And again, if you think about it, I think it's something that I have also been thinking about, how I never really understood what blackness meant to me, Mm -hmm. or what blackness, I never really knew there was a word that people, sorry, that people could identify as black until I came to Canada because I'm from Nigeria and there we all look alike. We, our hair, like the hair texture, the food, and despite the little differences in, well not little, but despite the differences in language and religion, we were like a group of people who identified as Nigeria. As Nigerians, we looked alike, but it was only until I came to Canada that I understood that I am different. But again, when we talk about like the differences in, like the differences in where we come from, you know, as a black person who's coming from Nigeria or as a black person who's coming from the Caribbean, mm-hmm. and the, the white man does not see us like that. The white man is not able to tell what black person came from Nigeria or from Ghana. So the white man, we are the same. You see what I'm saying? Oh so gosh, we yeah. all feel the same level maybe not level i don't want to say level of discrimination but we feel the effects of racism whether it comes to whether it is um at our workplace or whether it is um in schools you know what i'm saying there is still that um individual sorry there is still that collective experience of racism that we all feel despite where we come from Oh, that's something I've been thinking about lately, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to snap to that because I've been thinking about that for the longest time. And you said it so perfectly. We have a difficulty relating to Black Americans simply because there is hate among, or simply because they feel as though the Black Americans hate, hate us. So by us, I mean it Africans, and it, and they have a difficulty empathizing with what our history is, which is a history of slavery and um, colonization and all of that. So when they say stuff like they have a hard time empathizing with that, I just feel confused about it because don't 
let these people know that it does not matter where you come from. What the white man is going to see you is as a black person. And he or she is going to what the, let me re, let me correct something. What the racist white man is going to see you as is a black person. Definitely, like they are not going to say, okay, well, she or he is from Nigeria, so we are going to temper racism with mercy. No. So how are you telling me that you have a hard time empathizing with people who look like you? may have the same hair texture as you. How are you telling me that you have a hard time empathizing with them? And like what you said about coming from uh, Nigeria where everyone looks the same, everyone has the same hair texture, and you don't understand or you don't see the difference until you're in a country with more diversity, you know, Mm -hmm. then you see the real, like how different you are. Absolutely. You see how different you are from from the person who comes from Iran or Pakistan or from Italy, you see the difference between, but, but, but how much of a difference can you see um, in yourself as a black person from the person who comes from the other black person who comes from Caribbean, from, um, from a Caribbean country? You know what, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it's easy for us to relate because we, like, the African black person, which I don't know if that's a thing, the African black person and the black American or the Caribbean black person, mm-hmm. there is that, we are, in my head, this may not be what theory says, okay? But this is what I can see from my lived experience. There is that... I feel like it's easy for us to all blend in because we understand that we have a similar problem. And that problem is not the color of our skin Mm -hmm. because I refuse to see my dark skin as a problem. But we understand that we share a similar problem, which is white supremacy, which is racism. Mm -hmm. So it is that trauma that bonds us together. If I see a black person stopped on the street or being um, abused, I'm not going to stop and examine if that black person is a Nigerian black or mm-hmm. a Caribbean black or a black American or whatever name you want to give it. I'm going to stop because that person looks like me. Great. That person has the color of my skin. And that could be me. Anyways, moving on. Exactly right. <laughs> What you said reminded me of this book I read, um, Americano. Oh, yes. By um, Chimamanda. Yes, Adichie. Yes, I I love that book so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what you said, when she came to America, that's when she knew she was Black. Yeah. It's like what you said, you didn't know that word or identifying as Black until you came to Canada. No. Which is so interesting. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, because I was born here, so in America, so it's like, Mm -hmm. I see the difference, like, right away. I'm sure the the doctor who pulled me out was white, so (laughs) (laughs) I saw that difference right away. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -mm. That's funny. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) In addition to peace, my good friend Mike 
shares about how Tyler the Creator and Odd Future really influenced his identity as a black person in America. Um, I believe that Odd Future did open many doors for the group of alternative black people. I remember being a fan of Odd Future myself, and I still do really like Tyler the Creator's music. And I think the way he's just so out there kind of gave a lot of black people a pass, especially black people living in suburbia and in the suburbs. And if you're one of those people, I'm sure you know what it's like, you know, attending PWIs, not feeling black enough, kind of identifying as an Oreo, white on the inside, black on the outside. Too white for the black kids, too black for the white kids, but then again, the white kids don't see you as black. This is an experience that Mike grew up having. I just I just love this topic of blackness because it's so multifaceted and multidimensional and there's so many layers to it. Like, where do you even begin? So these are just a few snippets of the topic of blackness and being black in America. Uh, I started listening to Tyler, which is like a like a hearty jump, and and I think I got caught up in like that 2013-2014 sort of like, I mean he, they were around like early 2010s, but like they like they like made me feel like it made me feel like being a suburban black kid wasn't like a prime, like I didn't have to be like ashamed of myself. Because that's what the society has been telling me, that I wasn't actually Black. Yeah, I mean, that's why I still am a super huge fan of Tyler. I love what Odd Future did for those members of the Black community who were right. just feeling super estranged mm-hmm. and super feel and feeling super like, you know, AAV's not for us, like, like, like hip-hop's not for us. The best we got is like, R&B, you know, and maybe even R&B is kind of like <laughs> if you know. Being Black in America was like this huge topic. So like, when did you start like thinking deeply about that and what that means for you? Um, when I started seeing and interacting with Black people more regularly, like like my peers, instead of, instead of my mother and my brother, you know, mm-hmm. it was like my peers. And it was like, that was a college. Um, I think I was I sort of brought into the idea and it wasn't until like really recently like like I honestly when I came to UMass and was here for like a year Mm -hmm. that I was able to like really it was like really late and then I started seeing all this before that like bothered me but I didn't know why (laughs) and I had all these stories that were super similar to like 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 why you why do you want to touch my hair I don't want to I don't want to I don't want you to tell me my hair feels like a sheep I don't like I don't want you to talk to me about like how you were almost the same color because you're tan like, I don't want to mm. talk about these things like like <laughs> like there, there's just all these like tiny little tropes <laughs> that I like I started like seeing in my peers that was part of like the reason why I was like I need to like make father hotel because it was like a way for me to identify with sort of growing up and being in such a sort of like white liberal area mm-hmm. and white conservative. I mean, I've swung both extremes pretty hard. 
In the past year, I have interviewed a few parents, including Phil Holland and Rudy Salo, two fathers on the show here. Um, here are the messages that they are leaving for their children as first-generation American parents raising the children of the children of immigrants. These are their messages. You did mention you have kids. I wonder what messages or as far as like identity and ethnicity and heritage and pride in that, how do you associate that with your kids or what are you like teaching them? They're, you know, my kids are, they, my kids just look like white kids. Cause my wife is, uh, she's, she's part, um, Russian, Ukrainian. And then the other part is, um, Swiss Irish. Okay. So, um, the, my, uh, my, my kids are, you know, they're, they're half Arabic and then half, you know, white and, uh, but they, but they look white, they look even whiter than I do, mm-hmm. but they're, they're, they, I mean, my, my mother speaks to them in Arabic. And mm-hmm. so they know a couple of words and, and they're familiar with the food and, and at some point in the future, um, I'll probably teach them the history and God willing someday, it'll be safe enough to take them over to Jordan or some of the other countries and show them where, you know, my side of the family came from. But no, they will, they will know that they're, that they are Arabic growing up hundred mm-hmm. percent. I'm, they, they're, they, I can already see that they're not going to be, they're not going to have, they're not going to see the same negative things that I saw um, when I turned on the news or turned everything on TV, things have changed. Right. They just have, and, and they've changed for the better. And so I think my kids are going to benefit. What messages do you have for your daughter? Like when she gets older, as far as the dynamic between race and America? Hopefully it's different by then, but it won't because it's been about more than this, but obviously about 150 years. Well, really it's been 400, but as far as modern day times, as far as racism, the way it is today, it's been about 150 years. Mm -hmm. Segregation, all that stuff. So me, the way I am, I'm a street shooter. I don't really like to beat around the bush for most things, unless it's absolutely necessary for whatever reason. And I'm not going to scare her or anything like that, but I will tell her the truth. Like literally like when I got on Instagram to see your message before I got on, the first post I saw was before I opened your message today, it was, you know, how this girl from high school musical, the one with the bandana on her head, I forget her name. I don't know her name, but they didn't know how to do her hair. So she had, that's why she had a bandana on all the time. And it became a part of her character because they didn't know how to do her hair. That's not racism, but that's just a lack of accounting for people that aren't white. Like, why doesn't a TV TV studio or a TV set from Disney have people that know how to do black hair? Mm -hmm. You only got white people there. Why is there only white people there? Because of our country's history, which I can't get into now, but... That's a lot. ...is systemic racism that leads to white people being in positions of power or being everywhere that black people aren't. So now it's like some hair done, like, because she, nobody knows how to do it. Ridiculous. It's the, That's just one example. Yeah. So what I'm going to tell my daughter early on, not just negative things like that, but that she has to appreciate herself and know that she's not ugly. She's not a monkey or she's not what people might call her in school. Hopefully not. Cause I will raise hell. I promise you. I'm not even joking, but to, to, to help her be aware of herself and who she is, realize that she is beautiful because she is but you know it's very easy for a child to not think that about themselves just based off of other people's words right so i plan on teaching her me and her mom because her mom's on the same wave on that too teaching her about her hair 
appreciate because she had a lot of hair appreciative of it and realizing that she's just she's gorgeous and that nobody can change that no matter what they say and the fact that people say something about that is because they're jealous or they're mentally because i consider racism not necessarily mental illness but it's kind of like this phenomenon where people if they're not raised that way which is why a lot of people are so racist today it's just like joining in with other people that look like you and hating other people because those other people that look like you are doing that so you do it too Thank you for sticking to the end of the episode. This was a year in review and recap episode of American Eyes, the year of recording and releasing episodes, just recapping certain, uh, just recapping the different themes that came across so naturally within the kid. And now I would like to emphasize the overall theme of being Americanized and being a first generation American and what that experience is like something that I'm sure a lot of us in this kin have experienced, which is that initial feeling of shame towards our culture and heritage, feeling shameful of the music, our food, our language, or speaking our language, and all that comes with our culture. We feel that for a good chunk of our childhood and maybe sometimes into adulthood until we then take pride in our culture and our heritage and we find the joy in it and things that we we love about our culture and things that we want to share with other people about our culture and just the pure pride and joy in that. So the following is just a nice way to end the episode with folks expressing their their joy and love for their culture. My family, I feel really proud that I can identify as being somebody who's first generation. There's a lot of pride in knowing that everything that I have today really came from people who took huge risks, who who worked tremendously hard in an environment that they knew nothing about right so my grandmother came here i believe she came on her own and then you know she worked really hard she was able to send back and bring other family members here she was able to bring her kids here so to be able to come from stock that really is able to walk into a new environment and you know be able to work to be able to learn language be able to read and write to be able to do all of this right i think there's a really sense of pride that comes over me if anybody was to question me like you are about being first generation like i feel like i can't help but feel proud right? like i've got a really rich heritage in trinidad first generation in the united states and i own that so, uh, every every month in april i usually like pump out an article uh, about it and what it actually means to me and i kind of tie you know the story that i've kind of laid out here about the shame i had growing up and now like look at all these things there are to be proud of and mm-hmm. that, that month means a lot it really does have you ever seen that meanness like how proud are you are you to be black from Dominican to nigerian <laughs> that's me. I love being Nigerian. Like that's like that's like such a way, that's such a box to be Nigerian. Like even though it's annoying as hell, but having like African parents are off the boat and have like I still have those like Nigerian like ideals, African ideals. 
But like this, the culture it's itself and the music and the food and everything is just so dope. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, Nigeria is a whole powerhouse. Y'all are a whole different entity in Africa. I can't. Oh, I know. I everyone, know. everyone associates Nigeria. No, for real. That's Nigeria really is like Wakanda. Nigeria, Nigeria is the closest <laughs> that Africa got to Wakanda for real. But we live. I love Nigeria so much. Thank you so much for listening. As you know, um, the episode for 2021, the first episode was a special episode across borders featuring Peace, the woman who is a Nigerian writer living in Canada. Um, The title is We Need a New World, and I just want to reiterate that message as a final closure to this episode. Any message you want to put out there, what is that message? We need a new world. (laughs) That's the message. We do need a new world. And I would like for whoever is listening um, to this or whoever is going to stumble upon my poem, I want them to be able to imagine. I want them to be able to imagine new ways of living, new ways of interacting with the people in their lives. And I feel like if we can imagine that, then we can be a bit more kinder. You know, we can be a bit more compassionate, a bit more loving. I don't have any deep message to share, just that we need a new hold. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed what you heard, and I hope that you stay tuned for Americanized 2022. What's to come? Some new episodes and some old episodes from the COVID year that I really started up recording episodes. Now, these episodes are low-quality audio, but high-quality conversations. And I want to entitle that series, The COVID Files. So look out for The COVID Files, low-quality audio, high-quality conversations. And we have another special episode, Across Borders, where I speak with a woman living in Ireland with roots in Israel. And again, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, be sure to check out the guest form on the Americanized Instagram page. Be sure to follow Americanized on Instagram and leave your voicemails if you have a unique or ethnic quote-unquote ethnic name with a backstory that you like to share leave a voicemail at 508-505-4155 all original music produced by stubborn Saul. be sure to find him on all music listening platforms at s-t-b-r-n-s-a-l have a lovely new year in Hope to see you in 2022. Peace out, guys.